welcome to another podcast from Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about less talked about topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives into some more specialist areas with experts from a variety of disciplines. My name's Dave. I'm an army surgical trainee, a basics responder and a mountain rescue doctor based in Pitlochry. So today joining me, we've got Audra Starkey. Audra is a nutritionist. She started off spending 21 years in the aviation industry and then took redundancy to sort of focus on nutrition and on healthy living around shifts. She now lectures on nutrition and on shift work and provides some teaching and some one-to-one coaching and support for shift workers. She wrote a book called Too Tired to Cook and is based predominantly in Brisbane, which I think makes a first international person that's joined the podcast. So, Audra, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on board. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave, and greetings all the way over there from down under. So, I guess, if we go back to kind of, right back to the basic, why is shift work bad for us? If it's the same number of hours, why does it matter when, when during the day we, we do those hours? Yeah, it's kind of the million-dollar question there, isn't it? But it's it's a really good question, Dave, because... I like to sort of refer to, you know, our existence is very different to that of our nine-to-five non-shift working cousins purely because of the sleep disruption. It's the sleep deprivation as well as the disruption and the impact that it has on, you know, that circadian desynchronisation that, we, you know, we are we're basically as human beings, we're, we're not nocturnal creatures. We're not meant to be up during the night time, but obviously that's something that your listeners very much do and, and often, you know, a few days, you know, one after succession. Uh, so it's not just that lack of sleep, but it's the timing. And, you know, we are meant to be you know, asleep during the night and awake during the daytime, but shift workers, you know, do the complete opposite. And unfortunately, with that, there are a lot of health implications for it. Like shift workers are prone to a lot of chronic health conditions, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, you know, prediabetes, obesity, mental health problems. It's quite a lot of things and it's usually down to a couple of key factors, as I said, back to, you know, that sleep disruption and desynchronisation. But that has a flow-on effect to our behaviours in regards to our food choices, you know, what we're eating, when we're eating, you know, why we're eating, how often we're eating. And we're not because our, you know, clarity is not always there, you know, we're that tired all the time, we don't always make the healthiest of choices. And look, occasionally, that's fine. I'm certainly not one to sort of sit here and, and rouse on you for having your coffee, um, you know, or your donut or something like that. You know, occasionally, if it's kind of this day in, day out situation, uh, then absolutely over time, it can have a negative impact on our health. And for a lot of shift workers too, particularly in the medical industry, like what you're in, Ship workers aren't usually in that role for one or two years. They can be in the industry for decades. So it's why we need to, you know, make sure that we're doing whatever we can to take care of that health. Yeah, the uh, the siren adds a, a nice kind of oh, extra layer of realism. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. I put that on cue. <laughs> I completely agree. It, Particularly when I started doing nights, it felt like it was in complete survival mode and yes. I would just graze mm. my way through the night and do whatever I needed to to try and keep my eyelids open and some kind of coherent speech coming out of my mouth, which is a <laughs> struggle at the best of times. <laughs> One of the things that happens on nights is that 
that cumulative sleep deprivation builds up over time. Mm. It's always slightly terrifying looking at uh, new mums and looking at how <laughs> how much their brain function gets sort of addled by the cumulative sleep deprivation and thinking, that's actually not, not that dissimilar from what we do. And we have shift-working mums, so double whammy, and dads. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So is there anything that we can do about that sleep debt that gets built up? Well, the first part is that you want to prevent that sleep debt or at least reduce it as much as you possibly can. I'm, I'm all about proactive instead of being reactive. So it's all about being preventative. So when you get your roster, and I think you alluded to it before, you've just done a long stretch of you know nights. When you get your roster rolled out, you can pretty much see straight away like, oh my goodness, that week's going to be bad. Like that's going to be really quite taxing. So just knowing that, in advance is to start putting some strategies into place to help to reduce that sleep debt as quickly as possible. And of course, prioritizing your sleep is always going to be paramount. Uh, you know, maybe you can relate to it yourself as well. The amount of shift workers, and you know, I've spoken to clients over the years who actually don't do this one basic thing. And they think that they can function on, on next to nothing. And, and I'll use the example of going into your first night as an example. I've had so many clients over the years that will go into their first night with zero sleep. I'm not sure what sort of hours that you might work. Here in Australia, they do vary, but, you know, maybe they might do like a nine till nine or a nine till seven shift and they, they might be mums or dads and they've been running around doing 50 million things and they're picking up the kids and then they have dinner and then they just go straight into work. But if you could sort of think, well, you've been awake since you know, five or six that night before, by the time you get home, your sleep debt or your battery is in the red zone seriously in the red zone so we have this sleep debt and I think it's around 17 to 18 hours that we've been awake we effectively have a drug alcohol level of 0.05 when it comes to reaction levels and all that kind of stuff which is pretty scary stuff so if you were to get pulled over and the police Mr. policeman kind of takes your breath for alcohol well if you've been drinking alcohol that will show but it won't show Mr Friendly Policeman how many hours you've been awake yet your reaction time can be exactly the same as if you were legally drunk. So finding a way to have a nap before your first night shift I cannot cannot stress it enough because you can see how quickly it will snowball particularly if you've got like a long string of nights. I recommend around ideally around the 90 minute nap beforehand because that is a complete sleep cycle if you can and you know maybe later in that afternoon it's when you get that sort of circadian dip in the afternoon we tend to get feeling a little bit sleepy anyway if you can kind of get it asleep in there and I know for the mums listening this you might be thinking well that's when I pick up the kids and all this kind of stuff and I kind of get that but it's about finding a way and it does involve being a bit strategic and thinking ahead and pre-planning yourself in advance because sleep, you know, as a nutritionist, and again, I say this in my talks all the time, sleep is actually more important than nutrition. And the best way to describe that is if you were to not eat for two to three days, which I'm not recommending as a new diet for 2020 um, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but if you didn't eat for two to three days, no doubt after that time you'd feel tired, lethargic, you'd lose a bit of muscle mass and a bit of weight. But if you didn't sleep for two to three days, you would barely be able to function and you begin to hallucinate. So that does not give us a big clue as to just how you know, evolutionarily 
important it is on our health and which is why that pre-nap before night shift is super important. I'm definitely guilty of seeing that day before nights as being a, a bonus. Let's get some stuff done and mm. let's go out for a nice long run. And, and Here we go. It's a freebie day. There's not many of those around. <laughs> yeah, I guess you've got to be careful what you mean by free. It can catch up with you because you're missing a night's sleep. And I guess that the same is true at the other end because similarly, there's always a bit of a dilemma in my head when I'm finishing nights. Am I best just to power on through the day and try and get myself back into the new time zone, as it were? Or is it better for me to just write off the day and sleep and catch up? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question as well. That's um, super important. But again, just thinking how long you've been awake. And again, referring back to that drug alcohol kind of level, then you're being awake for that long. Your reaction time is not as fast, as quick. You can't think as well. When you're after night shift, all your body wants to do is sleep. It is craving sleep. It is physically exhausted on a cellular level actually you know it's, it's in that sympathetic fight or flight stress response because it's been awake when it doesn't want to be awake during the night so you've pushed it and I know that your jobs alone are stressful so your body is in such a stressed biological state and I know that I've had clients maybe you are guilty of this too Dave just from what you were saying before we'll go to the gym straight after night shift and maybe to use it to help them to sleep or something or just find a way to squeeze it in that free day or whatever but I again I highly recommend people just to go home and just sleep and if it's still the last night shift of course then you would just sleep for like half the day so you know maybe between six and seven and then you kind of get up at midday and you'll be feeling like you've hit like being hit by a truck like we can't sugarcoat it that's how you're going to feel but at least you've topped up your sleep battery a little bit and then you just do the rest of that day, but just be very easy and gentle on yourself. Don't have big commitments of appointments and stuff like that. Just kind of really take it easy and then that then we start to kind of get back into resetting that biological clock. It's been interesting to recently been revising for exams and, and trying to learn and fitting that around mm. shift work. You know, again, those kind of freebie days, pre and post nights, pre nights, it was fine and, and stuff would go in. But that post night day, my ability to retain information was virtually nil. And I'd be reading the same page five or six times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why your brain's just not functioning anymore because you haven't allowed it to repair and rejuvenate and do all everything that it does when you're asleep. You know, there's a reason why we've evolved as human beings to get around seven to eight hours. <laughs> yeah, super important. What about during our week of nights and we're doing a 12-hour shift? In terms of setting ourselves up, we've talked about sleep. What else can we do to optimise ourselves for this? As you say, it's going to be a physiological onslaught. Yeah, and look, a week of nights, that's pretty ruthless. That's certainly tough, but I suppose in a way you're getting yourself into a kind of a little bit of a routine. What I have heard over the years and it was a bit of something that kind of tweaked my interest actually even when I was just studying nutritional medicine is that, you know, I, one day I had a lecturer say to me, oh, we'll just get the shift worker to flip their meals around as in they have their lunch or something at midnight. And to be honest, that never really sat with me right. It just didn't feel right. We're not evolved to work night shift. What you're trying to do is force the body to kind of eat when it's not supposed to be eating. So, 
my kind of tip from a food and nutritional perspective, it's called food timing, but it falls under the, the term called chrononutrition and it forms under the banner in the scientific literature is chronobiology. So it's all about food timing. It's not only what we eat is important, but also when. And of course, for shift workers, this is critically important. And this, I guess the real big moment for me was when I was reading about how Shift workers are prone to things like prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, not just, of course, what we're eating, but the, the when kind of factor comes in. So when I was reading up the literature and it was saying that the pancreas actually doesn't function as well during the nighttime as it does during the daytime, that was a massive aha moment for me. I was starting to connect the dots as to why our shift workers so prone to insulin resistance. I mean, lack of sleep doesn't help, but why is it? Because I also had, I had clients that were eating relatively healthy, but then when I started to ask them when, that opened up a whole new, <laughs> whole new door because people were eating very erratically, which is understandable, as you alluded to before, Dave, you know, when you started, you're in survival mode, you're, you're working out what to do work-wise, but then you're just trying to eat and do stuff the best that you can but we really have to always take a step back and remember if we're human beings we're diurnal we're meant to be asleep during the night awake during the day so we need to be eating that way so what I mean by that and this is just a guideline of course it's all about doing the best that you possibly can because our shifts are not always so forgiving and, and allowing us to eat at those certain times but trying for example to have your normal meal like you would ordinarily have a, a big meal going in before work so it's, it's your normal kind of dinner because you want to fuel yourself up to get yourself through as long as possible so making sure you're having plenty of proteins and healthy fats to kind of sustain you through so that you're not wanting to munch and snack continuously during the night time and shift workers are prone I've been into many workplaces my own and hospitals and stuff and I know that there's always a lolly drawer somewhere stashed in there <laughs> with lollies you know and also you know the, the pizza delivery comes in and sits in the lunchroom with the cakes and the biscuits and stuff and I get it uh, you know we also want to make night shift fun as well and every now and then dialing in for that sort of food makes it fun and you know everyone kind of comes together but if the pancreas is not secreting insulin to get that blood glucose down like it does during the daytime, then it's going to leave your blood sugar levels up higher. And over time, it can also lead to that insulin resistance where, you know, the, the pancreas is just trying to keep pumping the insulin to try and bring blood sugar down. But insulin doesn't drop as quickly as blood sugar. So higher and higher amounts of insulin are very toxic very toxic on the cardiovascular system in particular. So again, getting back to these chronic health conditions, you can see how over time eating continually lots of processed and refined carbohydrates, the donuts, the chocolate, the chips, the lollies at 2, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning um, is not going to necessarily be your friend in the long term. That's really interesting. There's certainly, I'm still working in hospitals and every ward has got their, uh, their chocolate box out on the side for emergency snacking and i guess the other problem is that even with the best of intentions actually at two three o'clock in the morning if you're out on the road the only things that are open are takeaway shops or garages which you'll get your processed sandwich or your bar of chocolate and there's nothing really that is healthy slash appetizing that you can access at that point today yeah and yeah that accessibility thing is is definitely very important are you able to bring your own food though and take it on the road 
Yes, at least in theory. My poor admin probably puts that to pay most of the time. Okay. <laughs> because, I mean, obviously that's going to be your best strategy so that you've got the right food on hand so that you're not going to be tempted to go for whatever you've got available. And something that is particularly good for night shifters, and it's probably even more apt for where you are because I know that you're heading into winter it's freezing cold over there but soups can be an absolute wonderful thing to have during the night times and that's something that you could put in a thermos to take with you to have on the road and it's for a couple of different reasons you want to during the night time as I alluded to before you don't want to be eating too much until radically to kind of keep that blood sugar spikes down you also want to minimise any digestive distress that's going to happen if you start eating too bigger meals and so forth and heavy trans fats and stuff. It's going to cause grief on your gastrointestinal tract and that's actually another thing that I forgot to mention at the beginning. Shift workers are notorious for experiencing various types of gastrointestinal complaints for various different reasons. And the third part is that, and you will probably remember this if you're not too busy but if you look at our circadian clock certain things happen at certain times of the day and night which is how we've evolved as a human being which is wonderful just as well because we don't want everything to happen all at the same time but around three or four o'clock in the morning is when our body temperature naturally drops it dips and it does that purely to keep us asleep and if we're sleeping at home that's a wonderful thing but if we're working at night time, you will notice around that time that your temperature drops. And I know it's when a lot of us, we tend to reach for the cardigan or the jacket because we get that sudden chill. And again, this is where having something warming like soups can be a perfect kind of strategy to have because you're killing two birds with one stone. You're having things that aren't going to put too much of a, a strain on your digestive system. The homemade soups are always going to be better, obviously, because everything's pretty much been pulverised. It's not going to be hard and taxing to digest. And when it's warm, it will make you feel better as well. It'll fill you up. It'll keep you going. And then we also want to look at the end of that night shift. When you get home, Dave, we want to help you to be able to sleep and sleep well. So if you've kind of been munching on highly processed foods and, the, you know, the junk food during that night, when you get home, it's likely that your sleep is going to be a bit disrupted because you're going to be having all these blood sugar spikes and drops and it can be enough to wake people up. That's really interesting. That kind of three, four in the morning for me when my pager goes off or getting a treble nine and you're going from being sat in front of the telly or sat dozing to suddenly having to be up and active. Mm. And there's relatively little time to adjust to that process. I'm very guilty of jogging through to theatres and grabbing anything that's quick and munchable <laughs> to try and give myself that little bit of a, a sugar boost so I, mm. I can function. But the bleed off during the day is pretty unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there we go. This is good. We're getting you to admit this on podcast. So all your workmates listening are going to be able to keep an eye on you. <laughs> up to this but I mean it's like yeah again so you know on your days off this is a great opportunity to bulk cook you know do all this preparation and a lot of people roll their eyes at it because you know maybe they're not that keen on cooking and stuff but you know if we can make two or three different types of flavors and stuff and you know put them in the freezer and you know that way when that buzzer goes off you can have it with you and maybe quickly put it in the microwave and zap it I'm not necessarily a fan of microwave but we've got to do what we've got to do it's about getting a little bit strategic with things um, and yes, it takes a bit of effort. But again, there's nothing in the world that is important is our health. 
what sort of suggestions have you got in terms of the post-shift meal? So, you know, you, you finish your shift at eight, nine in the morning and you get back home and there's always a dilemma of, am I just going to crawl straight into bed and feel sorry for myself? Or am I going to cook up a full fried breakfast and go big? What would you suggest? Yeah, that's a really good question as well. So definitely you know, my suggestion is to have something to eat. I know a lot of people, yeah, after night shift, as you said, like they've got no energy to do anything. They can barely walk through the front door, have a shower, take the uniform off and they're in bed, let alone actually opening the fridge door <laughs> to, to kind of start cooking. But again, it's getting back into eating more in accordance with our circadian rhythms, eating as close to normal as possible. But if we go home and you jump into bed and you you haven't eaten anything. So the kind of opposite thing can happen. So in order to be able to sleep, the brain does need a certain amount of glucose to function and doing what it needs to do. So if you go to bed and you're actually not having anything to eat, what can actually happen? And in some people, this is not all, but in some people, is that your blood sugar can drop, like severely drop. And what that's going to do is set off that whole cascade of stress-releasing hormones, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, so forth, because the body is getting a signal going, oh, my gosh, Dave is about to die, he's needing food, I need to wake him up so that he has something to eat. After night shift, we don't want that. We don't want you to have this broken kind of sleep. So we need to make do whatever we can to keep that blood sugar stable. So having something to eat is important, number one. Secondly, not too big a meal for obvious reasons. We don't want to kind of put a big taxing load on your stomach. Again, that can also keep you awake. I also would go for more of that gut-soothing foods again, so something like chia seed puddings that are you know high in proteins and healthy fats and sprinkling fruits. I don't know what's in season over there, but you know we might put some raspberries and kiwi fruit or something like that chopped up on the top with some nuts and seeds. Uh, again, you're getting what we refer to in the nutrition world is like a macronutrient balanced meal. So you're getting some healthy fats, proteins, along with some complex carbohydrates. Another thing, chia seed pudding. So if anyone listening, you can actually Google that, chia seed pudding breakfast recipes. You'll find thousands online to give you some different ideas. Best part about that, again, is you can actually make these the night before or a couple of days before. So all you got to do is walk through that front door when you get home, sit down or have a shower first or whatever, and then open the fridge door pretty much and that's it and you can eat and then go to bed. The second other option is having something like a smoothie bowl, which is similar. So again, I don't know if that's something that you would have over there. It's like having a smoothie, but you might have a few more extra things on top. So for example, one that I had the other day had I think banana and mango in it with some yogurt, Greek yogurt, full fat Greek yogurt is great. It's high in protein, healthy fats, and then you can sort of sprinkle some nuts and seeds on top. Now, Obviously, these are a bit more cooler foods in wintertime, which is what you guys are about to experience if you're not experiencing already. You'll probably want to have something more warming. Again, this is where obviously your porridges and things like that can be great. But again, my only tip there is if you were to sort of sit down and just have a plain bowl of oats, what that is, is that's pure carbohydrates. So what's going to happen there is it's going to give you a blood sugar spike. Pure carbohydrates on their own 
generally speaking, people will actually start feeling a little bit hungry an hour or so afterwards. That's why people that, you know, when I'm putting my hand up, we're all being guilty of this at breakfast or on an early shift or something, you know, we'll get the coffee and the muffin, but an hour or so later, we're still hungry because it's been pure carbohydrates. Whereas we're then we're reaching for the donuts and everything else and maybe a second round of coffee. But instead, if you're going to sit down and have your bowl of porridge, which is awesome, chuck other things on it. Put a dob of full-fat yogurt, some nuts and seeds, sprinkling, whatever takes your fancy. It's got to be palatable for you. You've got to want to sit down and eat it. Um, but again, it's going to be very soothing on the digestive tract. It's going to help to manage that blood sugar, which is super important to be able to you know, ensure that you actually can sleep through as much as you can before the dogs start barking and the, the lawnmower man next door starts to wake you up after night shift. But hopefully you'll just roll over and, and go back to sleep afterwards. That's really interesting. You've talked there and mentioned a couple of times using high-fat yogurts and dairy-based stuff. Now, I know most folk in the UK, you know, their default is to reach for the, the completely skimmed milk and the low-fat yogurts. But I think we've had it beaten into our heads that fat must be bad for everybody and you seem to be saying that there is a, oh, a role for it absolutely and and i'm yeah very much on the opposite side of that and that that was actually down we've kind of been brainwashed into that to be honest because that was that low fat regime was actually based on science that was proven to be wrong if you research ants or keys he was talking about cholesterol is really bad high fats really bad but that's actually been debunked and sadly, though, and all and over UK, America, even here in Australia, and I know it was all through the 90s, and I was, you know, had was like you and a lot of the listeners were thinking, oh, my God, it's got to be low-fat, 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 it's bad for my heart, all this kind of stuff. Well, it's actually been proven to be the opposite. When you think about it, pretty much every cell of our body is made up of fat. So our body needs it. Also, we need fat to produce hormones. So we actually do need a certain amount of fat. Fat, one thing they can sort of drill into their their mind to, to think of fat is not going to make you fat. It doesn't. Like it's the high sugar that is what actually is driving most of that your health that we're seeing in society today. High sugar leads to high insulin. It's the high insulin that's very toxic, which leads to things like um, abdominal adiposity and that belly fat and so forth. Please don't be scared of that. So I'm talking about fats from whole real food. So things from like olives and avocados and coconut, all that stuff is important. Sadly, when everything was kind of flipped to this low fat, obviously that taste is going to be gone, isn't it? Like if it's got no fat, it's going to taste revolting. So what the food industry did is that, well, they've got to make it palatable so people can actually eat it, enjoy it and buy it. So they add salt and sugar. So low fat doesn't actually mean healthy <laughs> because it's usually high sugar and sodium or salt. So if we start to get shifting into that mindset, again, this might be all completely new to some of the listeners, but again, and then they can obviously do their own research after listening to this podcast, but it's it is definitely, it's been a shift. And I know, I know in Australia here, we've, we've kind of, I guess, caught up with it a lot more and understand that the low fat, although it's taken a long time, is not unfortunately a good thing. You know, and I do say that it depends, you know, your personal circumstances. But generally speaking, for most of the healthy population, our bodies need fat. It's when we need it from even different types of protein sources like meats and eggs. When we're looking back at what spikes our blood sugar the most, 
which is what we want to avoid. We want to avoid this high blood sugar insulin resistance state that so many shift workers end up developing over a long time. What spikes blood sugar the most is your refined and processed carbohydrates from anything that's packaged and bottled and so forth. What next spikes our blood sugar is protein, but healthy fats doesn't spike our blood sugar at all. So during the night time, we really want to be having more of your healthy fats and proteins and stuff to keep that blood sugar spike down. And I know it's usually the opposite. Everyone's said before, we get lured into the hypnotic spell of the vending machine, (laughs) all the chocolates there and the lollies and, and things like that. And I know it's really hard to avoid it, particularly when you're person that you're sitting next to is munching on something or their packet of chips and (laughs) it's quite torturous it's about finding ways to make sure that you've got a good supply of of nutritious food for you that is going to certainly serve your health because at the end of the day it's good food and it's the nutrients from that food that literally keep us alive we need the nutrients to perform all of the thousands of biochemical processes that happen in every cell, every second, every pretty much every part of our body. And we we can only get nutrients, vitamins and minerals and microminerals from whole real foods, not the processed stuff. That was a long-winded answer to your question, wasn't it? That's that's really interesting. (laughs) I think it's a very important answer because it's something that isn't particularly Mm. well grasped here. And certainly I found that once you're on that sugar roller coaster, it's pretty hard to get off because you're constantly chasing yep. chasing peaks and troughs. Whereas, yeah, something with a little bit more to it, a little bit more bulk, a little bit more fat is, is longer lasting. I want to pick your brains about a subject very close to my heart, which is that of coffee. I'm very aware that I definitely drink too much coffee, but equally it gets me through nights and stops me from getting grumpy and ripping <laughs> people's heads off. What's a healthy approach? Yeah, and look, if I was to say to any shift worker to never have a cup of coffee again they would probably throw things at me fortunately they can't do that right now and I would never actually say that either because as you said you you kind of need it to kind of keep you be able to kind of think and have that clarity and kind of function obviously though we need to be thinking on the on the back side of things here of not interfering on your sleep later on because we know sleep is critical that quality and that quantity is absolutely critical for every single shift worker on the planet. So from a night shift perspective, my suggestion would be to have that cup of coffee before you're going into night shift. And I think I have listened to, was it Lisa that you interviewed about on the sleep podcast? And Lisa even spoke about it too. It's something that I recommend to my clients is, you know, when you're having that nap, you know, have a coffee first and it might seem so strange, but by the time that you wake up, the coffee's kicked in and then off you go for your night shift but even just having it say like eight o'clock at night or even a little bit later but just not anything past midnight because the same applies even for non-shift workers nine to five cousins you know I would say to those people is to stop your coffee around midday the reason being is that caffeine itself has anywhere between a six and an eight hour half-life meaning it can take six to eight hours for half of that caffeine to be removed from your system, depending on your liver function, a little bit of genetics kind of plays a role as into that as well. So if you're having copious amounts of coffee during the night time, and I know that people, and you might have been yourself too, that you, you can have a cup of coffee and you can, you know, you'll, you'll go to bed and you'll 
sleep or, you know, sleep fine. If I was to actually probably stick you on the machine that measures your sleep, but if we were to probably (laughs) sit there and, and kind of measure that, I doubt that your sleep would actually be as good as you think it is because your nervous system will still be kind of fired up and wired. That's what caffeine does. It spikes our adrenaline and cortisol, puts us into that fight or flight stress response. And the more coffee we have, it's like insulin resistance. The more that we have of something, our body is going to become resistant to its effects which is why you'll have some people that end up drinking more and more coffee because they're not getting the same effects as what they did having one or two. They now feel like they need five or six to get that same effects. And that, again, that's that a resistance happening and it's your the body is an amazing thing and it, it does that for your survival. Like, And it's always going to do whatever it can to keep the body back into homeostasis but it's pushing you into that fight or flight situation. So my recommendations is to, again, not to not drink coffee, but if you can just maybe stop around midnight and then, you know, start alternating a little bit with things, even having something like alternating it with green tea. Even the research has shown with this is that it, because it still does have a bit of caffeine in it, okay, so you're not, I'm not, removing the caffeine completely but it has less caffeine it also contains a compound called l-theanine which basically helps to soothe and relax the nervous system it's like it doesn't have a sedative effect it has an anti-anxiety kind of effect meaning it's going to calm your own nervous system however it still keeps somebody alert which is really important for yourself and all your listeners because you need to be able to make decisions quickly you need to be able to think quickly so you you don't want to be missing out on that alertness so you you'll still get that if you're having some green tea but you won't get that jitteriness effect which what a lot of people will experience it doesn't have as much as caffeine so it's less likely to impact on your sleep later on and, you know, even I've prescribed L-theanine as a supplementation for clients that have struggled with sleep purely for that reason. It actually, it doesn't work as a sedative, like a lot of sleep medications like benzodiazepines and so forth and even alcohol have that sedative type effect. The mechanism of action is to, as an anti-anxiety kind of effect, calming that nervous system. So it's going to help you to relax and with some people, as I said, I'm talking about a supplement here to kind of relax, to calm that nervous system so you can sleep without making somebody drowsy. And now that I'm thinking about it, I've, you know, had paramedics and I've even prescribed that for them that have potentially been called out. You know, they'll do a shift and they go home, but then they get called out again. And so I'll, you know, I might prescribe them like an L-theanine that will help them to get back to sleep from that first call out. But they're a bit worried if they get called out again it actually will be fine because it's not going to impact on their alertness. So, yeah. Interesting. So it sort of mops up mm. the sympathetic drive that would be causing us to yeah, exactly. stress hormones. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. Okay. So fairly predictably, I've not been doing shifts particularly sensibly for the last X many years. With all of our podcasters, we've been getting to give three top tips so that folk can have a kind of a core set of things to take away what would your suggestions be for those of us that are tight yeah, so obviously um you know number one is all going to be about prioritizing our sleep i cannot stress how critically important that is and re, you know reducing that sleep debt before going into that string of nights because we know that it's going to snowball quite quickly if you go in with no sleep very hard to kind of recover 
quickly. So number one, prioritising your sleep, you know, getting that roster, checking it out, what do I need to do that's helped to give me a bit of gap in there where I can sleep. Secondly is to each time you're sitting down to have a meal, when you look at it on your plate, is there a serving of proteins on that plate as well as healthy fats as well as the complex carbohydrates, you know, preferably you know, your vegetables and so forth? Because we want to always have that macronutrient-balanced meal to reduce that blood sugar spike so that you don't get those high insulin and then it kind of drops and then you get in that vicious cycle of wanting to, talking about sugar before, you know, every time that you eat sugar, it actually makes you want to eat more. (laughs) So that's what it does. So sitting down and is there any protein on my plate? Is there some healthy fats along with your vegetables and so forth? It's going to help to keep you feeling fuller for much longer, which is very important with those complex carbohydrates from whole real foods and vegetables and so forth. It's that added fiber that's going to keep you feeling fuller for much longer as does the protein and healthy fats so that you're going to be less likely to fall victim to that hypnotic spell of the vending machine um, in the corridor, whether it's on the road, because you're sustaining yourself, you're setting yourself up for not getting hungry in the first place. Um, And thirdly is to eat minimally during the night time. Super important for the reasons I was alluding to before, all about chrononutrition, trying to not be eating continuously and especially during the night because our body's not geared up. It doesn't assimilate nutrients. It doesn't break down foods in the same way that it does during the daytime. And and all of those sorts of things are going to help to mitigate these chronic health conditions that shift workers can be prone to later on, the cardiovascular disease, the the type 2 diabetes, the gastrointestinal complaints and stuff. If you can sort of work on those, just those three things and, you know, start small, just one little thing, whether it's changing one thing that I've mentioned one week or don't want to overwhelm yourself, but just little things. And it's the little things repeated over the long term is what's going to have the most positive change. Fantastic. That's really great advice. And yes, hopefully I'll be slightly more functional on my night shift. <laughs> great. Well, as I said before, some of your workmates might be listening so they can check up on you and yeah, see how you go. And I hope they've also found it helpful as well. Thanks so my much pleasure. for coming on to talk to us. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.